You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us so that when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. So today's Bible reading will be taken from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. So I'll be reading from the CSB version, and we'd encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles, and the passage will also be displayed on the screen. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, Be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Silvanus, a faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is a true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of God. God, we ask that as we look at your word in 1 Peter, as we finish this book, uh, that in your kindness uh, we might sit at your feet. We might see Jesus lifted high. And we might be strengthened to stand firm in his grace in every situation. Amen. It it is a bit embarrassing to admit this, uh, but when I was a teenager, uh, I started the habit of writing letters. Uh, it's a bit of a dated sort of hobby. Uh, and over the years, I've written letters to the people I most love. Uh, now, I know what you're wondering. Adam, where's my letter? The uh, good question. Uh, he who has ears, let him hear. Uh, there is something about writing a letter that's so much more powerful than, I don't know, sending an email or, or a text message or a TikTok video. I don't even know what that is, right? Like, when you write a letter... You have to slow down. 
You have to think about what you feel. And then you have to choose the best word to capture that feeling. You know, a word penned by a steady hand carries the weight of a thousand hearts. But the hardest part of writing a letter is always the end. But you don't have all the paper in the world. A page doesn't run on forever. There's only so much you can write. So I'm always wondering, how do I end this letter? What final word do I want to leave with this person I love? You know, over the last 10 weeks, we've been reading another letter, haven't we? A letter penned by the Apostle Peter to Christian exiles all the way back in the first century. Christian exiles scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And I want you to just imagine what it must be like for Peter, right? He's heard just how hard it's been for these Christians to stand firm for Jesus in a hostile world. Is her news. These guys are suffering under pagan empire. They're being slandered by their unbelieving friends. They're so afraid of their non-Christian husbands. And so, he, Peter has heard some of these Christians are responding in all the wrong ways. Under pressure, some of them are hitting back against the world. Others of them are stepping back from the gospel. And as we heard two weeks ago, still others are running back to their sin. So Peter writes this letter with one message. He's saying, hey, don't give in. Don't give up. No, no, stand firm. Stand firm. And he started this letter all the way back, 10 weeks ago, if you remember, by urging them, don't lose yourself. Don't forget yourself. Remember who you are. In chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, you are chosen by God, secure in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In chapter 1, verses 3 to 12, you are children of God with salvation as your eternal inheritance. In chapter 1, verses 13 to chapter 2, verse 3, you are holy like God and set apart from this world. And in chapter 2, verses 4 to 10, you are honored by God, even if you're ashamed and slandered by this world. Do you remember all those weeks ago? It's just like Mufasa said to Simba, remember who you are. And what he didn't say, though Peter says, you are chosen, honored, and set apart as God's beloved children. It's amazing, nothing in this world can ever take that away. So stand firm in who you are. And stand firm in doing good, for that's the purpose for which God has saved you. What does it look like to do good? In chapter 2, verses 11 to 25, if you're living under a pagan emperor, honor him. But remember, you've been freed by God. Or if you're working for an unbelieving master, honor him, but remember, you belong to God. Or in chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, if you're married to a a non-Christian husband, honor him. But remember, your true worth is found in God. And for all of us Christians, without fail, who might suffer under persecution and pressure for standing for the Lord Jesus, remember this. Chapter 3, verses 8 to 22, don't be afraid of the world. Jesus has returned you to God. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, don't run back to your sin. Jesus is coming soon. 
Chapter 4, verse 12 to 19. And don't be surprised at your suffering. Jesus will vindicate you. And now, as Peter's pen moves to the bottom of the page, I wonder, how do you think he's going to end this letter? What words will inject that final bit of confidence into the hearts of these Christian exiles? Well, here they are. Just two words. Stay humble. Stay humble. You can see it three times in verses 5 and 6. Stay humble. You know, it's not how I'd end this letter. If I were writing the Bible, it's always a good question to ask. If I were writing the Bible, I'll tell you what I would write. You can do it. I'm so proud of you. Just t- take pride in being a Christian. But maybe that's the risk, isn't it? That these Christians might just confuse, don't be ashamed last week for be proud. That they might become overconfident or arrogant as they face the world triumphalistic, overly victorious. But Peter says, no, no, don't do that. Stay humble. And in this final passage, he does three things. He offers us an example of humility. He issues a call for humility. And he warns us against the enemy of humility. The example, the call, and the enemy. And he urges us, friends, stand firm in humility. You know, leaders are a reflection of who we aspire to be, aren't they? I mean, we want our leaders to be strong, to be successful, to be impressive. Why? Well, we want to be strong, successful, and impressive. But there's not that much impressive about humility, is there? I mean, let's face it, in a world where Christians are already looked down upon by everyone else, why would you want a doormat for a pastor? Who wants to be shamed? Who wants a leader who's shamed by the world? Who wants to be embarrassed of their pastor? Let's face it, right? If I invite my friend to church, I want them to see an impressive pastor, a visionary leader, a dynamic preacher. That's you, I'm I'm sorry. But a humble sufferer? Someone who suffers, someone who's shamed? No, no, I don't don't want my friends to see that. But that's exactly what Peter calls pastors to be. An example of humility. In the New Testament, the word elder and pastor, they're simply two different words to describe the one leadership role. So when Peter writes to the elders here in chapter 5, no, he's writing to pastors as well. And he's writing to them because they are the ones, more than anyone else, who are bearing the brunt of persecution. You see, even more importantly, these guys are the ones through whom God will shepherd his church. Does that make sense? The leaders, it stands to reason, if if, if Christian exiles are suffering, you're going to expect the Christian leaders to suffer even more. They're going to be enemy of the state, number one. But secondly, these leaders are the people through whom God will shepherd his church. I just noticed the connections in this passage between chapter 2, verse 21 and 25, and this passage. So, in chapter 2, verse 25, Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Here, in chapter 5, verse 2, elders must shepherd and oversee the flock. In chapter 2, verse 21, Jesus suffered for us, leaving us an example. 
And here in chapter 5, verse 3, the elders must be examples to the flock. Can you see what Peter's doing here? He's saying, Jesus shepherds his church, he shepherds his flock through pastors and elders as his under-shepherds. It's our job to care for you on behalf of the chief shepherd. You know, from time to time, I meet people who say to me, Adam, you know what? I don't need a pastor. Jesus is my shepherd. But can you see how Jesus is our shepherd? He he shepherds us through pastors who keep watch over our souls. A, A Christian saying, I don't need a pastor, is as foolish as a sheep saying, I don't need a shepherd, if indeed sheep could talk. Because when the persecution and pressure come, who will protect you if not the one called by the chief shepherd to do so? But you see, friends, your pastors and elders, they're not just shepherds, they're called to be your examples. It's just like we saw, whatever suffering these Christian exiles are facing, I can guarantee you, their pastors and elders are suffering far greater. And God calls them to be examples to the church of how to suffer well, of how to stay humble under pressure. And in verses 2 to 3, Peter highlights three pressures that shape and that pre, three pressures that shepherds face both then and now. Firstly, I want you to see shepherds face the pressure to lead out of compulsion. Shepherds face the pressure to lead out of compulsion. Do you remember a few weeks ago at that baptism service, I told you about those 38 Iranian Muslims who became Christians. And their lives were threatened because they chose to be baptized. But do you remember who those enemies targeted first? Not not the 38 Christians. No, they kidnapped, tortured, and killed their pastor. So the sheep would have no shepherd. And so it was in Peter's day. Gosh, if I were a pastor then, I'd be thinking, I'll find another job, right? Take this cup from me. I don't want to carry this cross or this burden. And if I stayed a pastor, it would have been so easy to have led out of pure obligation. But Peter says, no, 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 shepherd, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Secondly, shepherds face the pressure to lead out of greed, to lead out of greed, You see, for these elders, the cost of standing for Jesus may have felt so great. The reward for standing for Jesus may have felt so distant. How tempting it would be to think, if I won't get the world's glory now, I'll just take the church's treasure. I might as well get rich out of this thankless task. And it's sad because haven't we seen that story play out time and time again? Pastors who seek to get rich unjustly off the flock whom they're called to care for. But Peter says, shepherd, not out of greed, but greed for money, but eagerly. Thirdly, shepherds face the pressure to lead out of pride. Out of pride. Can I tell you, when the pressure's on, and as a shepherd, you start to see your sheep stray, it is so easy to shepherd with a heavy staff, to not guide the flock with a rod gently, 
but to beat the flock with a stick harshly, to act as a master and lord. But Peter says, no, don't do that. Shepherd, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Because here's the bottom line. For every pastor and elder, we need to know this, the sheep don't belong to us. The sheep don't belong to us. No, in verses 3 to 4, Jesus is the chief shepherd. You don't belong to me. You don't belong to your pastors and elders. You belong to him. And he's entrusted you to our care. You know, being a pastor or elder is tough. In many ways, it is a heavier cross to bear. And God calls His shepherds to not give in to the pressure of the world, to not give in to leading out of compulsion, out of greed or out of pride, but instead He calls us to be examples of humility through suffering. He calls all of His leaders to live, to to suffer in such a way that will point you to Jesus who humbled Himself to death on a cross. You know, our church, can I say, you guys who belong to Cross and Cran, we're so blessed. We're so blessed that we have pastors and elders like Andrew and Jeremy and Lord willing, Josh and Paul, who are all such examples to me. And I pray it might be examples to you. And the truth is, I can only pray that I would be such an example. But I know how often I fail. And for all the times that I have, And for all the times that I will, please forgive me. If you're visiting us and you're looking for a church to call home, can I I offer a free tip? Apply it not just to us, apply it to anywhere you go. Don't look for a pastor who primarily is a visionary leader or a dynamic preacher, good though they are. Look for a pastor who is an example of humility. Look for a man who knows pain, who humbles himself under the chief shepherd. Look for a man who has grit and humility that will stand firm through the greatest suffering. You know, in Peter's day, the pressure of the world, it distorted how the shepherds led. But let me tell you my worry for our church today in Australia. I worry that in our day, the pressure of the world isn't distorting how shepherds lead, though it is doing that. More than anything else, the pressure of the world is stopping us from shepherding at all. I told you guys a few weeks ago, we're looking for another full-time pastor. And the tap has run dry. (laughs) We are facing a national drought of pastors and gospel workers. And I suspect that one of the key reasons is that we are simply not willing to suffer. You see, friends, I'm not going to mince words. Shepherding means suffering. It's funny, we run these partnership events where we say, you know, come and support Joe and Tim, and it's all exciting, and they're going to, it's great, don't get me wrong, it's wonderful what they're doing. But I hope you know, and gosh, I hope they know, <laughs> that in choosing to shepherd, you are choosing to suffer. But I wonder whether as a church in Australia, we simply are not willing to humble ourselves, to bear the rugged cross, to take up the shepherd's staff. But let me ask, if we will not shepherd simply because we're afraid of suffering, 
Who then will the chief shepherd use to protect his flock? If we will not be examples of humility through suffering, how can we expect Christians to stand firm through suffering? Friends, if God is calling you to take up the shepherd's stuff, to train for gospel ministry, say no because you're not gifted in that way or because that's not where your heart or desire lies, but please do not step back out of fear. Humble yourself and join us in suffering for the good of the flock and for the glory of God. For is that not what Peter means in verse 1, that he is a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as the one who shares in the glory about to be revealed? You see, Peter's life mirrors Jesus' life. Suffering now, glory later. As it was for Jesus, so it was for Peter, and friends, so it is for us, who are models of humility through suffering. Can I ask you, encourage your pastors and elders. I'm not saying that for me, I'm saying that for the other guys, right? It's hard work. But for those of you who are in gospel ministry, here is this wonderful encouragement in verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, however great our suffering is, it's worth it. For is that not why our Saviour died? Did not Christ don a crown of thorns so that we might receive and wear a crown of glory? If you're not a Christian, I want you to know that Jesus suffered for you so that you might be glorified by God. He gave His life for you so that you might receive an eternal inheritance, an unfading crown, a secure salvation. Peter calls us, his shepherds, to be examples of humility, however much I know I fail. And in verses 5 to 7, he now calls all of us as a church to follow that example. He calls us to humble yourself to your elders, to one another, and most importantly to God to your elders, to one another, and most importantly, to God. Look at verse 5. In the same way you who are younger, be subject to the elders. There is so much church hurt, isn't there? When you think about Mark Driscoll in the States, Jonathan Fletcher in the UK, or other rogue pastors even closer to home, you might wonder, how in the world could I ever humble myself to a shepherd like that? And it may surprise you, but God says, actually, don't. Submission does not equal unquestioning obedience. If your shepherd is leading you into sin, please do not obey them. But but can I suggest, if your shepherd is an example of humility, then your submission will be a joy. Because you'll look at him. And I'll tell you what you won't see. You will not see a picture of perfection. But you'll see an imperfect but improving example of humility. And when you do, you'll want to submit to Him. You'll want to humble yourself to Him. Most importantly, you'll want to follow His example. To suffer like He suffers. To be humble like He is humble. Many years ago... uh, I was in a church where it was, it was hard, right? I was in uni, it was tough. 
Um, theologically, we weren't exactly aligned, and it was just one of those moments where it wasn't easy. You don't look back fondly on, as it were. And I can tell you, after I left that church, it, this, this was hard for me. It became really hard to trust another pastor, to trust another church leader. I moved to another church where, not to embarrass him, my pastor was Andrew Reid. Uh, he was not the pastor that was hard to submit to, you see. And for years then at Doncaster, I saw Andrew's life, his humility and his perseverance. And it actually became a joy for me to submit to that, to follow that example. He, he modelled for me then, and he models for all of us now, how to stay humble under pressure, how to suffer well. So can I encourage you, when, when you feel like these exiles struggling to stand firm through suffering and all you need is a model or two of people who are doing it well, humble yourself to your elders and follow their example. They're not perfect, far from it, but I hope you can see in them an example of humility through suffering. Secondly, verse 5, humble yourself to one another. You see, under pressure, it's so easy to turn against each other, isn't it? To allow those hairline cracks to become wide fissures in our fellowship. But Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because Proverbs 3.34, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility leads to grace and it is in grace that we stand firm. You see, when we humble ourselves to one another, can you see what we're doing? We're acknowledging our own sinfulness. And in many ways, we're welcoming the loving correction of a sister or brother. I, I love this because it says we don't just need shepherds, we need each other. We don't just need shepherds, no, we need each other to stand firm. We need each other to stop us from hitting back against the world. We need each other to stop us from stepping back away from the Lord. We need each other to stop us from running back to our sin. Uh, let, let me ask, right? I know that, you know, if I send you a message or ask you, hey, you know, Roy, can I give you a call today? The first thought through every church member's mind is, what have I done wrong that the pastor wants to call me? But what if it's a brother or sister? It's not your pastor. Just another church member here at, in, our crossing, in Crossing Crown who loves you. And let me, let me ask, if they call you or send you a message and they lovingly ask, hey, I haven't seen you at church over the last few weeks. Where have you been? Is everything okay? How will you respond in that moment? Will you respond in pride and hit back? Or ghost them? Or will you humble yourself to one another and receive that loving correction or that expression of care? You see, it can't just be on your elders to do all the work. We've got to do it for one another. Humble yourself to your elders and humble yourself to one another. But most importantly, and at the heart of this passage, humble yourself to God. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. You see, that phrase, mighty hand, it evokes memories of the time when Yahweh redeemed his people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And Peter says the very hand which lifted Israel out of Egypt is the very hand that will exalt you out of your suffering. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be even in this mortal life. 
but God will raise us at the proper time. He will lift us out of suffering and raise us to new life in Christ. And friends, can I tell you, if we know that God will one day exalt us, we can bear the sufferings of this world. We can lose the acceptance of our friends. We can forfeit the approval of our family, and yet we can still stand firm for the Lord Jesus. So verse 7, cast all your cares on Him, because He cares about you. Isn't that beautiful? Cast all your cares on Him. Because He cares about you. Humbling yourself to God doesn't mean gritting your teeth. It doesn't mean having a stiff upper lip. Humbling yourself to God means casting all your cares on Him. Not just some of them. No, all of them. You see, these suffering Christians, under pressure from their family and their friends and their work and their masters and their government, they would have felt abandoned by God. And some of them might have even wanted to run away from God. But Peter gently urges them, no, don't run from Him. Run to Him. Because the world might not care about you. Your friends might not care about you. Your family might not care about you. But God cares about you more than you could ever imagine. So when the pressure's on, when you've got a decision to make as you stand firm before God, can I encourage you, humble yourself under God. Stand firm in living for Him, whatever the cost, and then take that cost, take that pain, take that hurt and all that rejection and cast all of it upon the God who cares for you. Humble yourself to your elders. Humble yourself to one another. And humble yourself to God. And Peter ends by showing us because we face a great enemy, a great enemy to our humility. You see, friends, you may think that our great enemy is the world. Isn't that what Peter's been saying his entire letter? And yet in these final verses, it's as if Peter pulls back the veil to show us an enemy greater than the world, who is the enemy who controls it, the devil. Ephesians 2 calls him the ruler of the power of the air. 1 John 5 says that the whole world is under his sway. And here in 1 Peter 5, we find that he is a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Let me ask, what would you do if you were confronted by a roaring lion seeking to devour you? You may run. The testosterone fueled among you may try to take it on. Bad idea. But here's the worst part. Most of us don't even know it. Most of us don't even know it. In a a famous quote by C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, I want you to see what he writes. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. 
One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Friends, if our charismatic sisters and brothers might be at risk of the latter, can I suggest we evangelicals often do not even live as if the devil even exists? We live as if the spiritual is the superstitious and that the material is what only matters. But let me ask, if you knew that the devil was out to devour you, as he is, how might it reshape your life? I mean, my guess is, surely we'd be on slightly greater guard. Surely we wouldn't flirt with the world and its idols. In John 8, Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. And is that not how he devours us? By deceiving us. He deceives us into thinking that our friend's acceptance is more important than our God's. He deceives us into thinking that God doesn't care about us, so why should we stand firm for Him? And He deceives us into thinking that living for Jesus, fearing God over man, embracing suffering with humility, simply isn't worth it. Friends, do not think that the acceptance of your friends the fear of your family, the idolatry of your career, or the temptation to a relationship, relationship are simply struggles against the world out there. They are, but they're not just that. They are struggles against the devil. They are spiritual struggles. For if we see worldly pressure as purely a worldly problem, we will never take it seriously enough. We'll think that it's not that serious will think that we can control it. Oh, it's a worldly problem out there. I can tame it. But can you tame a roaring lion? Our struggle against the world is a struggle against the devil. So Peter says in verse 8, be sober-minded, be alert. Verse 9, resist him firm in the faith. Take it seriously. This is no joke. If you think that your friends, your family, your colleagues are your biggest challenge, gosh, we aren't seeing clearly enough. I must confess my own sin in this. My own sin of neglect and not seeing my problems as fundamentally spiritual. I have to ask myself, Adam, when was the last time I prayed for protection from the devil and his schemes? When was the last time I actively humbled myself under God to protect me from the evil one and his lies? I genuinely can't remember. You, you know that feeling, don't you? You go to a church prayer meeting. We should hold more of them. You go to a church prayer meeting and someone in your prayer group says something like this, Dear God, we pray that you would protect us from the devil and his schemes. And then something in you goes, Oh, oh that sounds foreign. It sounds, oh, I don't know. I haven't heard someone pray like that for a while. The last time someone prayed like that was an auntie at my old church, right? Like, it's just like, it seems paranoid. Not for Peter. When was the last time we prayed like that? When was the last time we humbled ourselves to God for protection from the evil one? You see, friends, if a lone sheep confronts a roaring lion, if it's smart, which sheep normally aren't, it will run to its shepherd. 
And if we confront the devil, and we're smart, which I'll speak for myself, I not, I'm not normally am, right? We must run to our Savior. Don't try to take on the line with your own bare hands. Here's a tip, you won't survive. Don't try to outrun the line with your own two legs. Again, you won't escape. We stand against the devil by humbling ourselves to God. He alone can protect us. He alone can safeguard us. He alone can keep watch over our souls. Friends, we have a great enemy, but we have an even greater shepherd. Humble yourself, not only to your elders and to each other, no, humble yourself to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Submit your life to him. In June um, 2021, was that last year? June 2020, it was a long time ago. I was going through a pretty difficult time in life. And my friend in Brisbane uh, wrote me a letter. Turns out I'm not the only one. It's special. I always keep it in my Bible. Ben, can you grab my Bible for me? It's over there. Thank you. Um, And I want to read to you how he ends that letter. Don't worry, not enough people write me letters that is full. There's only one. Um, That wasn't a request. It's okay. Let me read it to you. How he ends it. He also sent me a book and he wrote on the back of it, a book that isn't a Christian textbook, but a book you can enjoy for fun. Enjoy it. There you go. He knows me well. This is what he writes. I love you, man. And I'm here for you if you need to call. So please do on the weekly. Anyways, I'm not good with words. So the only Bible passage I could think of is the Lamentations one for you during this rough season. The Lord is my portion. The only real thing we can hold on to. Love, Mikey. Can I tell you, for me personally, those final words carry the weight of a thousand hearts. He ended that letter by encouraging me to humble myself to God through my suffering. To see the Lord alone as my portion and my joy. I want you to now see how Peter ends his letter to these exiles in verses 10 and 11. Just just follow it along and I'm going to unpack it and I want you to look at it. God is the God of all grace. One day that grace will be ours. He's called us to His eternal glory in Christ. So whatever our suffering, we have the guarantee of glory. And though we may suffer a little while in this world, I want you to see what God promises to do for us. When we are lost, He will restore us. When we are shaken, He will establish us. When we are weak, He will strengthen us. And when we can stand no longer, He will support us. So to Him, to Him alone, not Caesar, not our master, not our husband, not our friend, not our parents, not anything in this world, no, to Him and Him alone, be the power and the dominion forever. We don't have to be afraid anymore. Dear friends, stay humble. Stand firm, 
and look forward. Your shepherd is coming. And when he comes, he will give you the crown of glory forever. Yours, Peter. Let me pray. We have a great enemy. A roaring lion prowling around seeking someone to devour. And but for you, our shepherd, we would be so afraid. Teach us, God, not to hit back against the world, not to step back from the gospel, nor to run back to our sin. Teach us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand, trusting that the hand which saved Israel out of Egypt, the hand which raised the Lord Jesus from the grave, will be the hand to rescue us on that last day. And until then, we entrust our souls to you, the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.